Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. My name is Randall Carlisle. My usual co-host, Rachel Santizo, is out today, but she will return. And it's not because she's getting high. It's because of a medical issue. So isn't that awful how, how when you're in recovery, if you don't show up for something, some people will make the presumption Ah, there you go again, right? Yeah, you know. I would never assume that with her, though. No, She's I wouldn't. Amazing. I wouldn't presume, <laughs> assume it with anybody. My guest today is a special person, Mandy DeRocher, uh, and Mandy and I have, are just meeting now for the first time, and and you're meeting her for the first time, obviously, unless you know her and you're watching, but or listening. Uh, so welcome, welcome. Thank you. You so said much. you were a little nervous doing I this. I am. Why? I don't know. My husband does these kinds of things all the time and he tells me it's just a conversation. It's just a conversation. And I have no problem conversating with anybody else in normal life. But when it's being recorded, I you always gotta think, forget what if I can't about find the that words? out there. I know. See, I know. know. So you are in long term recovery. I am. How long? Seven years. It was seven years, March twelfth. Way to go. Thank you Way so to much. Go. What uh, and and you mentioned your husband, who's a rather well known person around town. Yes. Go ahead. Dave DeRocher. Okay. He's the executive director of the Other Side Academy. Right. And and he gets a lot yes. of publicity because he does yes. a lot of speaking. And obviously, you must have some good PR people because there's a lot of news stories involved much of the time. Yes. So, and what do you do? Um, I'm a server at uh, Ruby River Steakhouse. That's where I've worked since no I got into, into recovery. And it works really well It's uh, for, for our schedules. Um it's just a couple of blocks down the street from where we live. It's a very flexible job for me. So I get to travel with Dave on a regular basis and be at a lot of his things. And I asked you before the podcast, I said, what was your drug of choice? Or And, mm. and you basically, you basically, it'd be like you showing the menu at Ruby River. Yeah. It's like, well, I got heroin and meth and benzos. And yeah, yes. so you, yes. you used about everything. When did it start? Yeah. Um, I started when I was about 16 years old with alcohol. Um, before that, I had gone through a very severe eating disorder. And so that was really my first experience with addiction. And um, I was anorexic for uh, a, for a like number of years. Severely anorexic? Severely anorexic. I went from about 130 pounds down to about 82 pounds in five months. Wow. And I even got lower than that. Um, um, over time, you know, uh, but I was hospitalized for about 118 days for that and tube fed and everything. And I struggled with that for a number of years. But when so, I just like people can't understand addiction, mm -hmm. uh, I have trouble understanding an eating disorder right. like that. When I would, right. when I worked in TV, uh, a, a, a caseworker said, would you be willing to do an interview with with a with a young a mm -hmm. teenage girl who's mm -hmm. suffering from this eating disorder mm -hmm. and she and she said we have video of her semi naked so you could see mm -hmm. not not you know so you could see what was going on mm -hmm. and she'll come in and look at the video with you and do an interview and this and when i looked at the video it was like it showed the back and you could see your the bones all sticking out and the ribs sticking out from in back and like yes. with in in a bathing suit her hips were sticking out and and she looked like she was dying, which she was. Yes. And when we looked, and this is the weird thing about human behavior, when we looked at it, I thought, oh my God, this is terrible. Mm -hmm. 
and she looked at it and she'd point out, look, I have some fat on my belly right there. And I have, you know, that's exactly it's, it's body dysmorphia. And you really don't see yourself the way that other people see you. And I was absolutely dying as well. As a matter of fact, once when I was finally hospitalized, um, my ho- I was gray. You could see my bones almost through my skin. My heart rate was down to 22 beats a minute. Oh, That's how God. much my body was slowing down to try and compensate and reserve some energy. And um, yeah, and and really, my you know my parents would cry and plead with me and and want me to eat and this and that. And I would, I would just say, well, you know, at least I'll be skinny in my casket. Oh, geez. Yeah, it was, it was. So did you get over that or I mean? I did. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, you're still alive and you're not skin and bones now. But I, I did struggle with it for a number of years and, um, and it's something that has reared its ugly head throughout my life a few times, but I've never gotten as severe as it was just to where that kind of uh, thinking and and over restriction starts to happen, um, but it's it's been, you know, uh, that's tough. Yeah, right? yeah. and it's I understand addiction because I'm an alcoholic, but uh, I, but I don't understand that, yeah. which is why I was asking about that. And I was so shocked, and I'll remember that yeah. story as long as I live. She ended yeah. up dying, too, mm. unfortunately. So sad. So, I feel so blessed and so lucky that I've lived through all of the things that I have. But I would say that probably finding drugs and alcohol was what kind of saved me from the eating disorder. Because you're you're numbing yourself. And, Absolutely, and, and, and that obsessive thinking that that revolves around an eating disorder. I mean, it is just constant, overly obsessive thinking. And um, I found that when I drank alcohol or used any kind of substance that that altered me, that I didn't think about and obsess about my eating disorder. I didn't think about what to eat and what not to eat and what I was allowed to do and not do and overly exercising and all of that kind of stuff. It's certainly understandable then why you would turn to that. Before we started recording this, you told me, since I told you I was a recovering alcoholic, that you you blacked out the first time you drank as a teenager. Yes, the very first time. See, I drank for like 30 years and then I started blacking out, but... What what was that like? I mean, so you were partying with a bunch of kids? And- yeah, I, I just had to overdo everything that I did. It was very much the eating disorder me- sure. mentality as well, just all or nothing. And the very first time I drank, I downed mm, seven or eight beers in probably 30 minutes. I just go, 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 you know, trying to be the life of the party. I Even don't know what I was like trying to do. Yes, yes, it was yeah. awful. And I don't know what I was trying to do. But I went from being buzzed to blacking out. Like I didn't wow. even, I didn't even experience anything in between. And uh, then I didn't remember what I had done. And that was a constant throughout my life um, with drinking. There were a number of times where I would, you know, tell myself I was gonna keep it together this time. I was gonna do better this time. I was gonna drink more slowly, and I wasn't gonna drink as much. And there were times that I didn't black out, but I blacked out more often than not. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's scary. Yeah. How did that yeah. turn into drugs? Um, well, th- because my eating disorder, I kind of lost the group of friends that I had had um, through junior high and, and part of high school. I had been on the cheerleading squad and kind of with all the Mormon kids and this and that. And I, I was raised LDS in a really nice LDS family. 
Um, and that was not a part of our family at all. Partying or doing any of that kind of stuff was I'm not, sure. was not <laughs> anything that I was raised with. Um, but I kind of lost that group of friends. They all kind of thought they didn't know what to say to me anymore. I was really weird. My, my personality had changed and with, um, with drugs and alcohol. No, or, my personality or... had changed through my eating disorder. Okay. And, and, and you know, I mean, you... as I'm dying, really my body's dying and my brain is dying too. So you're not only starving your body, you're starving your brain. So and it's I like, was really, you, she's our friend, to, but look at her. What yeah, do we say? Yeah, exactly. They didn't know what to say to me any, anymore. I wasn't really fun and funny and outgoing the way that I had been. I couldn't cheer anymore. The school actually told my parents that I wasn't allowed to cheer anymore because if I had heart failure while cheering, they were going to be held liable. And um, so, yeah, so I kind of lost that group of friends. And when I started to come out of my eating disorder and go to a new school and make some new friends and and so forth. Um, I didn't want to be known as the anorexic girl, but I wanted to kind of fit in somewhere. And the group of kids that invited me to be a part of their group were the Mormon kids that partied. She's a party girl, guys. Yeah. 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 Okay. And so I wanted to be fun. And, um, and you were. And I was. <laughs> I was. But... Yeah, so I, I transitioned over to drinking and smoking pot, and it wasn't very long before I was introduced to my first line of methamphetamines and um, started, for the first time in my life, being super rebellious with my parents and, and um, acting out and treating them very badly and sneaking out at night and running away and telling, you know, I was seeing a counselor at the time, and there were a few times that I went to my counselor, and I would have my counselor call my parents and tell my parents, well, she's not planning to come home this weekend, but she doesn't want you to call the police. She wants you to know that she's going to be safe. She just needs a break from you. Really, I was just out there doing bad stuff. So they were, would you call them, I, I facilitate a family support group, and it's generally older parents with, with adult kids who are either out on the street or in, in incarcerated or in a treatment program or something. Mm -hmm. And, and, and we always talk about empowering and boundaries and everything. Sounds mm -hmm. like you're enabling. Uh, it sounds like your parents sort of enabled you if they made up an excuse like that. You know, probably because of my eating disorder, my parents were a little bit scared of how, how to deal with me and, and if we crack down her on this, she's going to stop eating. And mm -hmm, then, wow. Mm -hmm. So I think that that I manipulated them through that. And, you know, if you, if you would ask me back then if I was a manipulator, you know, I would have never thought that I was a manipulator. Right. But thinking back, I was definitely a manipulator. And, and I and I used that to my advantage to get away with things. Um, their fear of me falling back into that. Wow. So. But, Let's go through life. Yes. <laughs> so what 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 are you? So you're still in high school. You get out of school, mm -hmm. and, and you're still at home, or did you take so, off? Or so the last few months of my senior year, I did get in trouble for um, going out and partying and not coming home. And um, because I got in trouble, I just decided I'm not going to go home. So I went and I... Oh, that's the solution. Yeah, yeah. So I went and I stayed with my drug dealer and his girlfriend at the time for a while, but long enough that I missed enough school that that I wasn't going to graduate. Wow. So I just dropped out. And I had always been a really good student before that. I'm a really good student, 
I say it like that. I'd always gotten good grades easily. Okay. Um, I didn't, I wasn't real good about applying myself, but I got good grades easily. And uh, anyway, just odd that the last few months of my senior year, I would find methamphetamines and and just spiral that quickly and drop out of high school. And it wasn't long before um, I got pregnant with my first child and I was 18. And um, I thought at the time that that was going to save me. Like this is, this is the answer. This is the answer. This is going to give me my reason to get my life together. It's going to give me someone to love and something to focus on. And sure. I'm going to do better, you know? And um, how did that work? It worked for a while. Okay. It worked for a while. So were you, I clean, were you clean while you were pregnant? Yes. Okay. From the second I found out I was pregnant, everything stopped. Okay. And uh, I was clean and I did live with my parents during my pregnancy and they were very loving and very supportive of me. And, and, um, and when she was about, I would say a year and a half old, I started going to night school for medical assisting and again, fell back into a group of people that I partied with and, um, and started that cycle over again. And so your parents were taking care of your child? Um, or not at, at night when I was okay. going to school and then I would just always figure, well, she's at home asleep anyway. So after school, so I, I would go party. out and party with people. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, and then I, I married, um, well, I got pregnant again, um, this time with, uh, with the man that I ended up being married to for 17 years, well, 20 years, but we were together for 17 and, um, and we had a relationship that was born out of using drugs together. So, so you both used. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I got pregnant again. Again, stopped everything. Cold turkey. See, if you can do that for nine months. I know. That means you well, can do it. Well, and I did it for more than nine months. I would, I, would, I would have the baby and I would stay clean for, I would stay clean for usually a year or two. Really? Um, after having, after having, yeah. Which should show you that, well, I can do mm -hmm. it. Oh, yeah. It did right. show me that, yeah. you know. It did show me that I could. But then he was he was a drummer in a band. And so they played out every single weekend. In clubs. Yes. And so that kept putting us in the environment. So, sure. I mean, like my husband says, if you keep going to the barber shop, you're eventually going to get your hair cut, right? Right. That's, right? A, that's so, a good saying. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of people who are are getting out of a treatment program, at least at Odyssey, they'll say, "I was offered a job in a in a mm -hmm. bar, restaurant, mm -hmm. whatever," mm -hmm. and I say, "You know, that's not yeah. necessarily the best environment." And that's actually where I work now, and I was a little bit worried about that because I I did have a lot of experience throughout my life working in restaurants. That I've worked in restaurants more than any other kind of job in my life. But and, um, and Ruby River has a liquor license, yes, so, yes, so you and we serve could, alcohol. yeah, yeah. So, and, and I knew getting out of, getting out of rehab that that was taking a chance, but I went in there and I let everybody know right off the bat, I'm brand new into recovery. This is, this is what I want to do. I need you to support me in this and that. And, and it's, it's worked, for, it's worked for me. People respect that. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if so. you just tell people, you know, I'm in recovery, right. you know, I, mean, I set my boundaries and, um, I had other coworkers that, that do party a lot, um, that would regularly commend me for my strength and for staying staying uh, strong in my sobriety and and sure. not participating in this and that and that also encouraged me to keep going because I was setting an example. 
In the in the so. old days, in my old days, back in the eighties or nineties, uh, uh, I occasionally would uh, use cocaine so I could drink more, mm-hmm. and 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 I also wanted to try uh, ecstasy a couple of times because mm-hmm. I'd never done it. And the place I could always find to buy drugs was, uh, I, I guess, since they're, they no longer exist, was one of the restaurants for gastronomy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there were several of the servers who were dealers as well. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. so it was, a, it was a known thing back then. Mm-hmm. I don't think they consume me now because they don't exist. There, was, there were restaurants like the New Yorker and the Oyster Bar and all that kind of stuff. Well, but, restaurants are a breeding ground for yeah, for partying. Yeah. And, and really, I've never worked in a restaurant where there wasn't a lot of things going on behind the scenes. So, so we're back to you having your second child mm-hmm. and you're sober for... For the third or fourth time, yeah. <laughs> probably. And, okay, and then um, and and you're back well, during you're that married, time. Yes, married I'm now. married, and, and and both of you are you using. And our drug of choice back then was meth. Okay. We were smoking meth. And, um, and and did he stop using while you were pregnant, or no? Yes and no. I mean, there were times that I that I thought that he was using, that he would say he wasn't, but okay. But looking back, yes, he was. Okay. But then there were a number of years that we did very well after having our after having our third child. Um, we both stayed sober together for about between five and six years. Wow. Yeah. And we just went back to church and, you know, did did that thing. And and, you know, that works for a lot of people. But for people that are truly addicts and alcoholics, a lot of the time. Um, just going back to church is not going right. to do it for you. But um, again, he was a drummer in a band. We would find ourselves in these environments. Sure. Eventually, we're going to start participating again. It would always start again with with just alcohol, and then it would evolve. So, um, so this goes on for some time. Yes. So after so after uh, my third child and staying sober for about five or six years, um, I had a number of. Um, medical procedures in a short amount of time that uh, provided pain pills for me. And I had never really been on pain pills before other than right after having a child. And I can remember the very first time I ever got them after my second baby. I went home from the hospital after having him and like spring cleaned my whole house. Like (laughs) that day thinking, man, these are great. They make me feel good. These are great. Like I need more of this. And I thought, ooh, I could like these too much. And it was all these years later that um, after my procedures that I had done kind of back to back to back, um, that I had pain pills a number of times. And I was like, it turned me into superwoman. Like I could do anything and everything, get get everything done. And um, as soon as those started running out, um, I was wanting to to find ways to get more. And my husband at the time worked with someone else that got large prescriptions for chronic back pain, and he was willing to sell us his prescriptions. So again, we started using together, but this time it wasn't meth. This time it was was pain pills. Yeah. Yeah. So, So, and that... That evolved. That that went on for a number of years where we were functioning addicts and we were taking reasonable amounts of uh, of pain pills. However you define yes, that. Yes, exactly. Well, because when it became unreasonable, 
and we no longer could pay our bills right. and all of our money went to Let's buying thousands, yeah, thousands of pills a month. Wow. You know, like, yeah, I was probably, by the time I changed from, from, um, Percocets to heroin, I was snorting about 15, 30s a day, 30 mm. milligram Percocets yeah. a day. And that's super expensive. And that's also right around the time that they started really cracking down on uh, pain pill prescriptions and doctors that were giving them out so freely. Stop. Yes. Yeah. And, and they started becoming much more difficult to get. What did they cost on the street? Do you remember? Um, back then, I because heard like we were, an oxy, you could really buy, expensive. it's like a dollar a milligram. So like, so a 30, a 30, 30 was 30 bucks, bucks but or a 60 we were, would be 60 bucks. Yes. For one pill. Yes. Yes. But back at the time we were buying enough all at one time that we were paying more like eight to $10 a pill. So we were buying, which is still, yeah, you know, yeah. So, and between, between the two of us, you know, we basically just stopped paying our bills and stopped paying for everything wow. and, and all of our money went to our pain pills. So, um, then my husband lost his job, his longtime job that he had had, um, in Arizona and it was a pretty good job. And, uh, and we ended up cashing out his 401k because we still needed to, Jeez. to, provide for our addictions and we cashed out his 401k and we went through his entire 401k in less than three months. And then at that point, the drugs are gone. The money's gone. We hate each other, you know, and it started to get, um, very volatile. And for the first time ever in our, in our marriage, uh, we started becoming violent with each other and, um, and the wheels fell off really, really quickly there. And we split up and I, we sent our kids to his parents' house to stay as we separated. And we, in my mind, it was like, give me 30 days so I can get my shit together. You know, give me, you know, a couple weeks. I need 30 days. I'll get my shit together. But that's not what happened. I moved right in with another man and we were using together and that's when I was introduced to heroin because I was having such a hard time getting pills and I had no income, no money coming in. And, um, and I was introduced to heroin for the first time at the age of 37. And instead of going back, for, getting my shit together and going back for my kids in 30 days, I spiraled down farther than I'd ever been. And, and I was back on meth again. I was using heroin daily. I was using a lot of benzos and, I didn't go back for my kids. At the time, my kids were, my oldest was 17. It was her senior year in high school. My uh, middle child was 15, and my youngest was 10. Did they know that mom and, was screwed up? Oh, yeah. They knew that both mom and dad were screwed up. And um, actually, my 17 and 15-year-old had an intervention with us one night. And, really? And, and uh, pulled their dad and I together in our room and said, look, we know what's going on. We've seen this before because they had seen us go through uh, our meth addictions before and then come out of it. So they knew the difference between how we acted when we were sober and when we were using, um, especially my oldest. And uh, so they pulled us aside and they said, we know what's going on and you guys need to get help. And, you know, we don't we don't know what to do. And um, even that wasn't enough to persuade you. No. No. So we split up then and we 
both spiraled down separately way farther than, than we had ever gone together. And I smoked heroin with, um, with my new relationship and, and uh, smoked meth with him um, for the next year or so until I started injecting. And then, and then we were living in multiple places, living on the streets, living in motels, living with whoever would let us stay there. And that was a very toxic and very volatile and very mutually abusive relationship. We were both very um, mentally, emotionally, and physically abusive with each other. You know, this sounds, it's, it's an awful way to live. Yes. And, and uh, what people don't understand, hey, I, I used to, I still ask people when, because I deal with a lot of people at Odyssey House and say, is it, was it fun the way you were living? It was awful. As a matter of fact, I thought that I was dead and in hell and nobody would tell me. I really, really <laughs> This is thought, what hell is like. Yes. Yes. I really felt like I was separated from all of the people that I loved. I was living in this darkness. I was, I felt like my soul had been sucked out of my body. Truly, and like I had no control over anything anymore. And I really didn't know how to get back to any semblance of normalcy well, again. Normal, yeah. 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 So, yeah. And my parents wouldn't have anything to do with me. They moved here during the time uh, from Arizona to, to Salt Lake during that time. And they said, We have to get away from you because you're going to put us in an early grave, like you and all the things that you're doing. And and all that is going to put us in an early grave and we can't be around you and let you manipulate us. So they they moved here and they wouldn't even let me know where they lived. Wow. So when they finally did bring me here from Arizona, at the time I was living in a motel, um, the only place that I could get myself to go was either to go pick up and get, and get drugs um, or to the methadone clinic for about three years. My only method of transportation was rollerblading. By bicycling and and uh, walking, I lost my so license. The, this that is time. the point in the movie where you'd hear yeah. dramatic drums and everything, yeah. and say, "Okay, yeah. she's down and out. She's out on the street. Life is horrible." Yeah. And so, how did you get to where you are now? What happened? Well, um, yeah, you know, I, I I have to say that I never would have thought that I could let my life get to that point. I can remember thinking, "I can't believe this is my life." Like I I can't believe that. I used to see other people that were junkies in my mind. And I thought that I was, you know, <laughs> a me. little step above that anyway. And I thought, how do you let that happen? How do you lose everything you've ever worked for? How do you walk away from your kids? How do you lose your family? How does everybody, you know, um, kick you out of their lives? It's how do you get addiction. to that? Right, right. Yeah. And I thought I, I would never let it get to that point. I just would never, but I did, you know, and, uh, Anyway, my parents ended up calling me and saying, we have an airline ticket for you. We want to bring you to Salt Lake City. This is your one and only chance. We've got a program that we want to get you into. And I had been, you know, kind of trying to get into programs half-heartedly. Sure. Like I wanted to change, but I didn't really know what that meant. And I really wanted to go to a posh program like you know, sure. Passages Malibu or something yeah, like that. Yeah. I wanted to go to a place where they were actually going to hook me up to IVs and and put me to sleep for Massage a few days and let day. yeah, and not yeah. let me feel the withdrawals and right. all of that. So you know, I was I was more so looking for a program like that. But um, I used the opportunity of my parents telling me that that they were going to bring me here for rehab to manipulate them into sending me money so that I could get enough drugs so that I was high enough 
to be willing to come. Okay. And, um, and so anyway, I, I got on the airplane and came here and man, that that's a whole other story in and of itself. I hardly made it here. But once I got here, um, I forced my parents to stop at uh, a hotel so that I could use the rest of my drugs, which I really didn't use the rest of it because they went and took me to the VOA and I was using in the VOA and I ended up getting kicked out of the VOA. Wow. Yeah. It's hard to get kicked out of VOA detox. I know. Detox, I, know. Know, so. I, I was awful. I, I think back of how awful I was to the people that were trying to help me. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I thought, well, if I get kicked out of here, my parents are going to have to let me come to their house. They're going to have to let me come and stay in their basement, you know, and they didn't. Wow. They didn't. It's good. They held their, I know, you know held their ground on the whole thing. Yeah. Thinking back, if they'd have let me, I probably wouldn't be here today. You know, so my sister ended up letting me come and stay in her basement for a couple of days because in order to get into the Haven, I had to have not used for four days. So my sister's husband uh, is in very long-term recovery, like 20 plus years. And, um, and he's the one that helped us find the Haven. Okay. And so when I went and I stayed in their basement, that was really my first true attempt at withdrawing. And I can remember going to him and crying and handing over my last syringes and handing over my last little bits of anything that I had left. And, uh, and, and I withdrew for the next several days in their, in their basement and took like eight baths a day. And I can remember looking down at my body and just crying, you know, seeing how bruised up and purple and gray and just sickly. I looked, I looked awful. Now for people who don't understand dope sick without any kind of drugs to help you is, yes. is hell. Yes. Absolutely. Pooping, puking, shaking. Oh, so awful. Sweating. Just, yes, yes. Yeah. Cold constantly, yeah. aching to the bone, kind of getting stuck in position. Yeah. Like, I, and I can remember just my sister coming in and sitting by me uh, in the bathroom while I was taking a bath and I was crying and I was looking at myself and I hardly recognized myself mm -hmm. anymore. And, and I cried and I said, do you think I can ever be pretty again? Oh, wow. Do you think I can ever be pretty again? And, you know, that's maybe shallow, but yeah, but I right. thought, can can I come back from this? Right. Can I, come? Can I, you know, have a normal life again? It's and been so said, long. You've been down so yes. far. And she said, and you're, you're going to have to, exactly. And she said, you're going to have to heal from the inside out. You know what? You heal on the inside and the pretty's going to come, you know? And so... I ended up going to the Haven. I really struggled in there. Um, I didn't realize how many personality flaws I had and how many <laughs> um, behavioral, Which treatment yeah, behavioral issues yeah. I yeah. had. You know, I thought I was extremely likable. <laughs> and but normal, yes, sort of. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But um, I struggled in there. And um, they were very hard on me. But in hindsight, I'm so glad that they were. Because there are a lot of people that kind of skated right on through that program that have not made it today. Um, probably a quarter of the house that I went through are and, dead today. And and you didn't get booted out? I no, because but I never unpacked. Because has a program where, they, where the rest of the clients can boot you out. Oh, yeah. Out. And I saw a number of people get booted out yeah. while I was there. And I really, 
I couldn't believe it. As a matter of fact, I never unpacked the whole time I was there because <laughs> I was really certain that I was going to get kicked out. Wow. And there were a few times it was really close. But my parents were basically like, you get kicked out of there and you're on your own, little lady, because I don't know what to tell you. Right. You better finish this program. You better do what you're supposed to do because you're not coming here. You get kicked out. You know, that wasn't that wasn't a choice. That wasn't an option for me. So, so you did complete the program. I did complete the program. And the thing was, is really, when I went there, I just wanted to prove that I could stay clean for 90 days. And then really, I think that my plan was, in my mind, I didn't, I couldn't see a future. Like I wasn't going to get my family back. I wasn't going to have back the, the old life that I had when it was good, you know, so I had a really hard time foreseeing a future because I really had no hope inside. But um, somewhere along the way, a little spark of hope started. I can remember sitting in meetings at the Haven when my brain started to maybe kind of work again because I withdrew for about the first 35 to 40 days. Sure. I didn't sleep a wink in over three weeks. I mean, I was absolutely miserable and I was really afraid that I was going to be brain damaged for the rest of forever because I couldn't get my thoughts from my head out of my mouth coherently at all, you know, and I thought, what is going on? Am I ever going to be normal again? And uh, so somewhere along the way, I started really listening and paying attention in meetings and listening to the people tell their stories. And I can remember just for the first time, maybe in my entire life, so intently listening to someone and and hearing them talk about how it had been for them and me seeing myself in their story, but then looking at them and thinking they don't look at all like they've ever been an addict and their lives are so good today. And they're talking about how they've rebuilt relationships and how they've got um, so much confidence in themselves now and how they've been clean for a number of years and how they've you know, reached back down and helped the next person and, and all of this and that. And I just, I saw myself in them and I thought if they can do it and they've been where I am, then maybe, just maybe I can do it too. And that spark sparked in me. And I started to not think so much about wanting to just make it through the 90 days and go back to the old boyfriend in the old motel room and use again, you know, um, and I started to think, maybe I need to think about other options. Maybe I need to think about staying um, and rebuilding my life. Like, how do I do that? I've never been self-reliant. I've never been on my own. How do I do this? I came here with one suitcase full of sweats and I have nothing left to my name. I have no driver's license. I have no birth certificate. I have no social security card. How do I start rebuilding my life again? And uh, somewhere along the way, I started being open to the option of uh, living in sober living for women, which was right down the street sure, from, sure. from the Haven. And um, I really felt like that that was my only option because, again, my parents weren't going to let me come and live in their basement. Yeah. And I'm so glad they didn't. <clears throat> right. Um, I ended up going to sober living and a lot of the women that went there fell off. Right. And um, I just decided along the way that I was going to align myself with the people that were really doing it right. And I was going to keep my head down and do the next right thing and not get distracted by all the other people that were trying to find the gray areas. Right. You know, and the ways to get around rules and the ways to get away with things. And I was I was 
I decided for the first time in my life to look at the people that I admired and respected and that had what I wanted. You know, all those cliches of, sure. of the things that they talk about in, in meetings and in AA. And, and I wanted what they had. And so I was going to do what they did. So I kept my, my head down. And, and a lot of the women that went through the sober living house with me just wanted to get out of there as quickly as possible. You know, they were there for a month or two and then out, you know, thinking that, that this was just a landing pad. And, and I looked at it as a safety bubble for myself. They held me accountable to certain standards. I had to have a full-time job. I had to go to so many meetings a week. I had to go to house meetings. I had to follow certain rules. I had to drug test right. uh, randomly. Um, all of these things that kind of held me accountable until I could hold myself accountable. And so I ended up living in sober living for 16 months. I lived there about as long as I could. Um, and and I really leave, feel, Mandy. <laughs> I really I really feel that that was the key because I got a foundation in the Haven and enough sobriety under my belt to be thinking clearly at least at that point, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and I had find I had gotten um, active in the recovery community, and it's such a strong recovery community yes, here is. in Salt Lake City. So if you align yourself with the right people, you know you're going to have a lot of really good examples to follow. And you can actually have fun sober. Absolutely, that was another thing. Trying to learn to no have kidding. fun again. Yeah. Um, I wasn't having fun being messed up either. So I hate to cut you off, but we're out of time. Oh. So. Uh, so you just quickly though okay. you 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 went you did all this hard work you've been I clean did. for a long time I you did. got married again I did happily married did. yes to a good guy yes and I did finish raising we ended up finishing raising uh, my my youngest daughter together um, good. and she's she's twenty now so I did end up good. getting her back and and that was pivotal for me I, I you you provide great inspiration to anybody who's watching and listening and I thank you for sharing. See, it wasn't bad, was it? No, it wasn't. Okay. It wasn't. I hope I didn't get lost in the weeds too much. No, you did not at all. I all appreciate right. you sharing your story. Thank you. And I appreciate you either watching or listening to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. Mm -hmm.